us and for your presence with us, Lord. And uh, we rejoice not just in your omnipresence, but also in your manifest presence that uh, we know everywhere we go, there you are. But we also want to experience you in profound ways that we can see with our eyes and feel with our hands and taste with our mouth, hear with our ears and smell with our nose, Lord. We just we want to know you. I pray, Lord, that you would activate everything that we have to receive from you, uh, that we would be aware of your presence, Lord. I pray that Jesus in your name. Amen. All right. Amen. I want to dismiss the kids. They can uh, head over to Children's Church before we get down to business here. Uh, we do have some stuff to do today. This, morning, uh, this afternoon's sermon is going to be kind of a, uh, well, super practical, I hope, for you. There's going to be some stuff that we're going to do together. Uh, I just want to explain it a little bit before we get into it. But All right, all the kids are gone. Most of the kids are gone. All right, could I get one person to stand up and nice and clear and loud uh, pray for the sermon? Any volunteers to do that? All right, thank you, Susan. Amen. All right. Thank you, Susan. All right. Well, if you know much about our church, you know that we like to do ministry in people's homes. Uh, I myself have a Bible study that meets in my home on Tuesday night. Our Wissanoming campus was started from my living room. And this campus here used to meet as a Bible study that alternated between my living room and Shane Abbey Akinasso's living room. So living rooms are important. You can get some stuff done there. Uh, but we like to do ministry in homes. The Davises host a Bible study in their home on Wednesday nights in their living room. And I have always enjoyed that. I think that's actually a very biblical model. There weren't church buildings 2,000 years ago for the early church to meet in. So we've always met in people's homes. And one of the things that that uh, has introduced is people often will ask if our church is a cult. Because, well, you meet in people's houses, right? 
And I don't know why that makes people think that, but sometimes it does. Especially when we were very early in the process, people would say, what are you, some sort of cult? My neighbors to this day think it's weird that on Tuesday nights, like a dozen people come in. You know, they look at Brett and they're like, what is that guy's deal? Um, but they, they want to know what's going on and we get those questions, right? Uh, and this is what it always comes down to, the two main things. When they find out that we meet in a building that has stained glass, for some reason they're like, oh, that's fine. You're legit. I don't know why stained glass is the thing that makes it seem like we're legit all of a sudden. And then the other thing that people ask, and, and usually the people that ask this are not really qualified to ask it, but they say, well, does your church have any weird beliefs? And I used to say no. But then I actually looked at what we believe and I realized some of it's pretty weird. So I want to ask you, I want a little feedback here, all right? What are some of the weirdest things that we as Christians believe, that our, particularly that our church believes? We believe some pretty strange stuff. Uh, Bob, you got your hand up back there? Yes, that Jesus walked on water. That's weird, right? I think, Shay, Yes, right. We believe in a guy that died and came back from the dead, and then not only did he come back from the dead, he floated into heaven. That's kind of weird. I mean, I'm not saying I don't believe it. I do believe it, but it's a little, it's, it stretches me, right? Susan. God is three, one, and one. Yes, the Trinity, right? That there is, the, our, our technical statement on the Trinity is we believe there is one God who exists eternally in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That, man, that doesn't even work mathematically, right? And think, Christmas is coming up. A virgin had a baby, right? I mean, that, if you tried that now, you'd be on Jerry Springer so fast, right? The DNA test determines the Holy Spirit is the Father. Zaval, uh, so go ahead. Right, absolutely. One guy dying for the whole world, right? All right, last one. Go ahead. Right, absolutely. The, the God of the universe, the whole creator of the universe dwells in little old us. We believe some pretty weird stuff when you think about it. I mean, you read through the Bible, it's not exactly boring. It's not exactly simple. I mean, we believe some wild stuff. Now, today I want to talk about one of the weirder things that we believe in, which is divine healing. We believe in divine healing. Uh, we believe that God intervenes in human affairs in a way that brings actual physical healing. That's, that stretches some people. You know, we believe in miracles. That stretches some people. Uh, we've been going through this series on the fourfold gospel. Jesus is our savior. Jesus is our sanctifier. Jesus is our healer. And Jesus is our coming king. It, there it is. Perfect. Right there. The cross mean, uh, represents Jesus as our savior. Uh, that other image is not a cup. It's actually a wash basin, uh, like an old, a couple thousand year old wash basin that priests used to wash this, the, the dirt and the grime off of them. It represents cleansing. Uh, this picture represents Jesus, our healer. That picture is... Uh, a symbolic of oil being filled with oil and we anoint with oil when we pray for the sick. And then the final one, the, the easiest, that and the cross is the crown which represents Jesus our coming king which we'll get to next week. But when we say that we believe that Jesus is our healer, 
that does uh, make us distinct because not every church believes that anymore. You, did you know that not every church believes that Jesus still heals? There are some churches that just, they say, well, he did it back then because he was trying to prove that he was God, but now we have the Bible, so that's not necessary. And they don't believe in healing and they don't pray for healing. There are actually churches that believe that. Now, I think that if every church that said they believed in healing actually did believe in healing, there'd be no portion of the church that doesn't believe in healing. Was that confusing? If all the churches that said they believe in healing actually did, there'd be no other churches that don't believe in healing. Because there'd be too much proof, right? But a lot of times we have churches that say they believe in healing but don't ever see anyone healed. I don't want to be one of those churches that believes in healing just on paper. I want to be a church that sees people healed, that knows how to pray for healing, and knows how to heal people. In fact, Jesus said in Luke 9, 1, when he sent out the disciples, he sent them to proclaim the kingdom and perform healing. He didn't say pray for healing. He said perform healing. And in Luke, uh, Matthew 10, he sends them out to heal the sick, not pray for the sick, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, and cast out demons. It might be in the Bible, but I couldn't find it this week. I don't know that there's a place where Jesus says for them to pray for the sick. There's just places where he says to heal the sick. Which means that his expectation is that sick people are going to be healed. Not that we're just going to be like, oh, Lord, I, I pray that this person gets better. And if they don't, um, give them the faith to endure. Amen. That's not a good prayer. If your prayer for healing is... Lord, heal them, and then 10 more minutes of what might happen if they don't get healed. That's not the right kind of prayer for healing. Uh, you know, I believe that sickness can be used to strengthen our faith. Uh, but, but I've seen too many people say, God is using this sickness to strengthen my faith and then run to CVS. They won't run for prayer because, well, God, God doesn't want to heal me. He's just testing my faith, so I want to be sick. But then they go to CVS. Well, if you really think God's going to you know, deepen your faith through sickness, then don't go get antibiotics. Like, let's go all out then. Let's really see if you believe that. It's, it's crazy. Um, one of my favorite old preachers, he used to preach on healing but he also had cough drops in his pocket while he was preaching on healing. And one time he was preaching on healing and he had a hole in his pocket. All these cough drops fell out of his pants. I think that's perfectly okay, actually. Uh, we believe in healing, but we're not one of those churches that believes you can't go to the doctor either. There are, there are churches that, that believe in that. That actually identifies a difference that I want to I point out. If you can give me the next slide, Shay. Um, go one more. There we go. All right. This morning, I want to teach on the difference between faith healing and divine healing. Okay? I'll just tell you the, the end of the sermon now. We do not believe in faith healing. We do believe in divine healing. Let me, let me explain the difference here. Faith healing puts all the emphasis on your faith, whether you have a lot or have a little. If you have a lot of faith, you're guaranteed to be healed. If you're not healed, it must be because you didn't have enough faith 
Or maybe you got some sin in your life. In fact, very much the idea is that if you live right, you won't get sick. And if you don't live right, you'll get sick. That's faith healing in a, in a nutshell. Divine healing finds its source in Jesus, not your faith. Does anyone know how much faith Lazarus had when Jesus brought him back from the dead? Probably not a lot, right? We had King James Version. He was dead for four days. The King James Version says of Lazarus, he stinketh. That's the, that was funny, guys. All right. He stinketh. That's funny. All right. Faith healing teaches that the source of your healing is your faith, not God. That if you don't have enough faith, you won't be healed. That if you are healed, it's because you had enough faith. Often, then we get, then we get faith healers, right? And divine healing says that Jesus is the healer, and it really comes down to him. I want to read a passage from uh, Mark 5. I don't have it up on the screen. If you want to, grab a Bible in the pews and follow along. You can. If you have it on your phone or your tablet, you can. It's Mark 5. Starting in verse 25, this is the story of the woman who had uh, bleeding for 12 years. All right, you got to be mature if you're going to stick with me on this story. This is a woman that had feminine bleeding for 12 years. Okay, it wasn't like she cut her finger. She had menstrual bleeding for 12 years. That's a very long time. And this is the story in Mark 5, starting in verse 25. A woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and she touched his cloak. For she thought, if I touch his garments, I'll get well. Immediately the flow of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? His disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, Who touched me? Let me stop right there real quick. All right, Jesus is, cr it's, it's crowded, right? It's a tight crowd. People are bumping into Jesus, running into Jesus. This woman I don't know how old she was, but she wiggles her way in and grabs his cloak. So she's fighting to get in there, right? Like she's showing a little bit of bulldog right now. She's getting in there. She touches his cloak. He's probably being touched all over. He feels power come out of him. We're going to read a couple of verses later. He feels power come out of him. And he says, who touched me? And then the disciples get this smart aleck. At, they're like, Jesus. You're crowded. All these people are around you. And you said, who touched me? Don't do that to Jesus. Don't, don't talk to Jesus that way. He's going to get you if you do that. So uh, here's, the, here's the thing. Jesus is surrounded. He's, he's, he's hemmed in. Everyone's touching him. But he only feels this one woman. She, she was not the only person touching him. She was the only person that had faith for healing in that moment, though. Get, get that, what made her different from the rest of the crowd? So verse 32, he looked around to see the woman who had done this, but the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. So this is this woman's story. She's had this bleeding issue for 12 years, right? 
She went to many physicians. She, she went to so many physicians that she went broke. I mean, it says right here in the beginning um, that in verse 26, she had endured much at the hand of many physicians. She spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather she grew worse. So this woman is desperate, right? She, she went broke trying to treat this disease. And she wasn't able to, oh, you got it up there. Okay, great. She went broke trying to treat this disease. It didn't work. She had faith already. She just didn't have Jesus yet. Her faith, prior to meeting Jesus, her faith was not able to heal her, right? I mean, because she, you don't give money to a bunch of doctors if you don't have faith that they can do something. You don't go 12 years trying to get better without faith. The X factor in the story is not the level of faith she had. The X factor is the object of her faith. She made Jesus the object of her faith, and that's when things changed for her. Now, the reason I, I want to pull that story out and show it to you is because that idea that your faith has made you well, which Jesus says to her in verse 34, daughter, your faith has made you well, that gets twisted sometimes and turned into faith healing where it's just you have to muster up enough faith. And it, it begins to get twisted into uh, if you don't have enough faith, you won't be healed. If you do have enough faith, you will be healed. And if there's sin in your life, you're not going to be healed. And, and I just, I have too many questions from the Bible about that. Like how much sin was in Job's life that caused what he went through? That wasn't caused by sin, right? What Job went through, I mean, he lost his kids, he lost his, his house, he lost his job. I mean, he might as well write, write a country song. You know, everything, he lost his lawnmower, he lost his dog, he lost his beer, brewskis, you know, like he lost everything, but it wasn't because of his sin. It was actually because of his righteousness. I look at Paul's life. Paul was shipwrecked multiple times, in prison, beaten. It wasn't because of his sin. And then ultimately, Jesus, the only one who ever lived perfectly, died a gruesome death, beaten, whipped, beard pulled out, crown of thorns, ultimately crucified in the most shameful way. Was that because of the sin in his life or how little faith he had? No, it wasn't. So I, I'm much more comfortable from, the, from Scripture with divine healing, that the source of our healing is God, not how much faith you do or do not have. Does that make sense? You understand the distinction between those two? All right, let me move on. Now, uh, divine healing has a couple main characteristics, but when, when Jesus says to that woman, your faith has made you well, I think you can judge by the context that it's your faith in God that has made you well. It's not just faith, it's faith in God that has made you well, God being the source of the power for healing. You got that so far. All right, so let me move through this divine healing. So a couple characteristics of divine healing or, or primary principles. Jesus is the healer, okay? You're not the healer. I'm not the healer. Jesus is the healer. Uh, if you go back to the book of Exodus, there's a story. It's kind of a crazy story, actually. Uh, the, the Israelites are complaining and God sends a bunch of snakes. So don't complain. Just don't do it. God sends a bunch of snakes, and a bunch of them get bit by the snakes, and some of them die. And what, it, what was the solution to those snakes? 
Moses took his, his rod and he picked up one of the snakes with it. It was a bronze-looking or bronze-colored snake and he held it up and anyone that looked at that snake was healed. Have you ever ridden behind an ambulance and seen the logo that's on the back of an ambulance? It's a snake wrapped around a stick. That's from the Bible. That's a Bible story. Uh, that's, a, that's actually a symbol for health and healing still to this day. Check out an ambulance. Check, look at your Blue Cross Blue Shield card. or Just Google it sometime. Uh, and uh, when they look at that, they're healed. And it's in, from that story, God says, and he reveals the name Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, your healer. So first thing we need to understand is that God is the healer. You're not the healer. If you pray for 10 people and all 10 of them get healed, good for you. You're still not the healer. God is the healer. Now, you might have the spiritual gift of healing, in which case, you know, if I get sick, you're the one I'm going to call. But you, you're not the healer. The source comes from Jesus. Jesus is the healer in the same way that Jesus is the sanctifier, the savior, and the coming king. Now, secondly, divine healing is available to you. If you're a Christian, it's not just a privilege, it's a right. Do you understand the difference between a privilege and a right? I have a right to be in my house, but to be in your house is a privilege. So healing for the Christian is a right, not just a privilege. It's something that Jesus gave you when he died on the cross. In Matthew 8, Peter's mother-in-law is sick. And uh, Jesus goes in. Peter's mother-in-law is sick. She's actually bedridden. Jesus goes in and heals her. If I'm Peter, I'm like, whoa, what are you doing? I finally got this lady locked up in this room. That's a mother-in-law joke for those of you that aren't getting that. Um, Jesus heals her, right? And then she gets up, and the first thing that she does is serves Jesus. Gets him some food and drink and, and stuff. And uh, Jesus, well, I should say Matthew, as he's writing that gospel, says it's, he, she was healed because by his stripes we have been healed, which goes back to Isaiah. So Matthew's making this connection between the Old Testament prophecies and the New Testament fulfillment. And that healing is something that we can expect to experience from God. Further, you have to kind of take Jesus as your healer the same way you take him as your savior. I mean, there was a day, many of us have experienced this moment in our lives where we said, Jesus is my savior. I cannot do this on my own. There's no other opportunity or option. Jesus is the best option. He's the savior. The same is true of healer. You have to get to the point where you like, I can't... Jesus is the source of my physical well-being. That my faith in him goes to the point of trusting him with material things, including my body. And so you take Jesus as your healer the same way you take him as your savior. Now, I'm more likely to take him as my healer when I'm sick. I mean, I'm, I'm very spiritual when I'm sick. Oh, Lord, heal me. I shouldn't have eaten that burrito that sat out all day. But it was so good. Uh, I, I eat a lot of bad seafood. I go to the wrong restaurants for seafood, man. I get food poisoning like six times a year. But anyway, I'm very spiritual after that. Uh, yeah, anyway. Divine healing is available to you. Shay, throw that next passage up. 
this is James 5. Uh, a lot of you are going to be very familiar with James 5. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. So I want to let you know that at True Vine, we follow this passage. And if any of you is ever sick to the, and you want to be prayed for, I'm encouraging you to contact one of our elders, and we will do that. Uh, Shay and I are both here and available for that kind of thing. Now, we don't limit that kind of thing to elders, but we like to start with the elders. So a lot of times when I pray for sick people, I'll grab a couple others to come with me who may not be elders, and we go and pray, and Shay has permission and blessing to do the same thing. We don't limit it to elders, but we like to start with the elders and doing that. And then we do like to anoint with oil. In fact, this is my little jar of oil that I keep with me at all times. It's in my bag with my Bible because you never know when you're going to be needing to pray for sick people. So I keep some on me at all time. Now, I want to tell you about the oil that we use. It is from a mystical, spiritual place called ShopRite on Frankfurt Ave. Um, Frankfurt Ave is a mystical place in some ways. But... Listen, it's not magic. It's not voodoo. The power's not in the oil. The power's in the Holy Spirit. The oil just represents the Holy Spirit. Okay, so you don't need to go buy some holy land oil that's been blessed by a prophet. If you want to do that and you've got that kind of money, let me talk to you about holding a 20 at some point. But uh, you don't have to do that. If, if that's something you want to do, and you like I would love to have some olive oil from the holy land. That would be awesome. But I'm on a shop right budget. So that's what, that's what we use because it's, the power is not in the oil. It's in the Holy Spirit. The oil represents the Holy Spirit. So we do anoint with oil and pray. I don't, we don't limit that to the elders. In fact, I think every Christian should know how to do that, at least at a base level. Every Christian should know how to pray for the sick. And hopefully by the end of the day, you know a little bit more about that than you did when you came in. Now, if you're going to be one of those folks that needs to come in and be prayed for, let me just draw your attention to the end of verse 15 and all of verse 16. If he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. If you're going to get the elders together to pray for you, you, you just better make sure you're ready to confess some stuff because that might be part of the problem. Not in every case, but maybe in some cases there might be a sin issue. And uh, you need to be prepared to go all the way with that. And here, here's what I mean by that. We do have this idea that like, if you sin, God will punish you with sickness. And that's all through the Old Testament. It's actually in parts of the New Testament. I don't see him, in the New Testament, I don't see him doing that to believers so much as I see him doing that to unbelievers. So I don't, I'm not talking about the idea that God will punish your sin with sickness. But what I am talking to you about is the fact that sin poisons your body. Sin poisons your body. Uh, David, when he committed Bath, uh, adultery with Bathsheba, he wrote a psalm that talked about his bones wasting away. And he felt it. He couldn't sleep. And if you know, if you can't sleep, your health starts to fail. And uh, sin really will have a, like a poisonous effect on your physical body over time. 
That's, that's I think, what this passage is addressing, is the, the poisonous effects of sin. So, come ready to confess. Not all sickness is caused by your personal sin, but some of it might be. I noticed a, a theme in college when I would pray for people with back problems, I should say unexplainable back problems, a lot of times they had issues with forgiveness. Colossians 3.13 says for you to bear one another's burdens and to forgive others as Christ has forgiven you. So think about bearing a burden on your back, which is what the Bible compares unforgiveness to carrying a heavy load. It makes sense that your back would hurt, right? Now, those issues really are mostly uh, apply to unexplainable issues. So if you're in a car accident and you have a back problem, okay, it's probably the car accident. You know, if someone runs over your foot and your foot's broken, you're not a sinner, you're just slow. You know? But if, but if there's no explanation, if it's I've had back, this woman, I've been bleeding for 10, 12 years and I don't know why. Or uh, it's an issue in your life, you, you know, I've had back problems for a year and I don't, and it wasn't in a car accident and it wasn't a work accident, I just have had it. Oh, well, when did it start? Uh, it started last January. What else happened last January? Oh, my husband left me. Well, okay, maybe, maybe there's an issue there. Or my kids stole from me or whatever, you know, like the, there might be some other things going on. So back problems are often linked to unforgiveness. Uh, other health problems sometimes have links there that are spiritual because there is a spiritual cause to physical issues sometimes. Does that make sense? Okay, good. So anyway, if you're going to get the elders together, you know, you just want to be prepared to go all in. And if there's some stuff you feel like you need to confess, confess, you need to be willing to do that. If you're not willing to, then I don't know how much help the elders can be. All right. So spiritual, uh, sorry, divine healing is available to you. The second characteristic of divine healing is that it is available through you. See how those rhymed? Okay, thanks, Dan, for being the only person that cared. Um, So go to the next passage. This is from Mark 16. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. This passage is descriptive, not prescriptive. It's not telling you what to do. It's telling you what's definitely going to happen. Why is that important? Because people look at this passage and they figure, well, I better handle some snakes and drink some poison in the name of Jesus. Uh, Let me tell you something right now. As hard as I tried, our church insurance doesn't handle you, uh, doesn't cover you handling snakes or drinking poison. If you do that, you better have good health insurance. I actually asked, I was just trying to be funny when we got our church insurance policy, and I said, this covers snake handling and poison, right? And the lady did not think it was funny. Uh, this, this passage is not telling you to go pick up a snake and toss it around at church. <laughs> and we do not do that, all right? What this passage is saying is that if, if, if this thing should ever happen, if you're ever in a situation where the, you know, you're being persecuted and someone tortured and someone makes you drink poison, you might survive it. 
The Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, I think it's chapter 28, he's stranded on an island called Malta. He's making a campfire. He bends over to pick up some wood and a viper pops out and bites him and is dangling off his arm. All the other people on the island said, ooh, you got bad karma. What did you do to get bit by a viper? Because they saw that as an act of divine judgment. Well, 20 minutes passed and Paul didn't die. An hour passed and Paul didn't die. A day passed and Paul didn't die. They no longer saw it as a, uh, uh, a fit picture of divine judgment. They saw it as divine protection. They started having Paul pray for all the sick people on the island. They all got healed. So when it says uh, they will pick up serpents and not die, it's not telling you to go do that. It's saying that this is a promise of divine protection. But it's also saying that there's an expectation that you will lay your hands on the sick and they will recover. <coughs> and then further in the next passage, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things and all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. And to another, the effecting of miracles. And to another, prophecy. And to another, the distinguishing of spirits. So I just want to point out that Paul had an expectation that there would be a spiritual gift for healing that would continue through the church age. And uh, in fact, in Greek, in verse 9, it says, gifts of healings, plural. So I think that means that there's multiple kinds of healings. Now, I don't know exactly what that means, but here are my two theories. Gifts of healings, plural, might mean that some people just are better with some diseases than they are others. So you might, you might stink, never get an answer when you pray for a cold. You might never get an answer when you pray for fever, but every time you pray for cancer, it's healed. Some people might just, that's the, the lane that their gift is in. Or it might be that some people are gifted with physical healing. Some people are gifted with emotional healing. So like maybe a counselor or something like that. Some people might be gifted in the area of spiritual healing. So like deliverance because discerning of spirits is right in the same paragraph as well as miracles and prophecy. I don't know exactly what he means by gifts of healings. All I know is there's no excuse to not do this based on this passage. So I want to do a couple of some hands-on stuff today, but before I do that, Heather, would you like to come up? This is Heather Pacheco Severns. Uh, you guys know Heather? Bless God that she's been just dealing with Tommy all this time. Uh, um, Heather had an experience a couple years ago that we're going to kind of do a back-and-forth little interview about. Look at Shay hand-delivering a mic. That's oh, on and everything. Heather's been uh, kind of coming to True Vine for about five years, off and on at first, but pretty consistently now. And I just want to, I want to interview her a little bit. I want you to hear this story here. So Heather, when you, tell us about how you kind of first started coming and what was going on in your life and what day-to-day -day living was like for you. I was searching for God and um, I ended up coming here. No. Yeah, Wiss. To Wiss and yeah. And November of 2010, I had a flare-up. I have multiple sclerosis, and I had a flare-up. And um, by January 2011, I came to West and uh, 
Jim was talking about a whole bunch of healing in the church and everything, like people quit smoking, emotional healing and stuff like that. And at the end of the sermon, he asked if anybody wanted to be prayed for. So I went up. All right. So what was um, what were your physical symptoms at the time? Like, uh, I was exhausted. I was tired a lot. Um, my left leg, I uh, was having problems with my left leg. Uh, with multiple sclerosis, it um, attacks your nervous system. And with your nervous system, it's covered um, by, like, it has a covering on it. And with the MS, it, it, it takes the covering off and exposes the nerve. And wherever the nerve is in your body, it, it affects, um, what am I looking for? Uh, yeah, whatever function where the covering came off, it affects you. So with that, um, I was tired. My leg was bothering me. I was exhausted. I was out of work for a little bit, and then I went back to work part-time, and I was just searching. I just wanted, I was searching for God. I was tired of being sick, and that's what brought me to work. And you were having issues with your head? Yeah, I had one symptom before. Um, My face had went numb from from here to the back of my head. I was dragging my leg before. I was diagnosed in 2006, and the first couple of years I was really sick. Um, A nurse would have to come out to my house and administer uh, IV steroids. So... um, so there was a Sunday that we were talking about physical healing, mm. and you were prodded to come up front and be prayed for, probably by Steph, right? Yes. You came up front, and then you said what? That I accepted my MS. Right. I, I asked her, she told me this whole story, and I said, so did, have you accepted this? Like, have you re- my question was really, have you resigned yourself that this is your my destiny life. in life? Yeah. You're right. And you said? Yes, I accepted it. And then I just said, well, how about rejecting it? Yes, to pray that I rejected the MS. Right. So she prayed, and I think I might have prayed. I don't know. It didn't really, to be honest, it didn't come across as spectacular or dynamic. No, but <laughs> at least Lord, not for after me. he was done praying for me, he's like, do you feel anything wrong with your leg? And I was thinking to myself, I was like, this guy's crazy. He's asking me if I feel something with my leg. But I did, and it was, I didn't think of it at the time. I was so consumed with myself <laughs> that <laughs> I just wanted to feel better. So... Just to be clear, I don't ask that of everyone. Uh, when you're praying for healing, you want to do what the Holy Spirit's doing in the moment. There's no real like um, uh, formula other than to obey. So how have you been since? I've been in remission for five years. But prior to coming to True Vine, I had no, um, no God. Like I believed that... He worked in everybody else's life, and I believe for me that everything just happened for a reason. So with coming to True Vine and with the healing and Jim praying for me, my faith has grown. And I pray all the time. I pray in the morning. I pray at night. I pray when I'm in my car. I pray throughout the day. And um, my life is good today, and um, I'm symptom-free from my MS. I have no new symptoms. So... um, Thanks, Jim. Thanks, God. Yeah, right. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Heather. Thanks for sharing that. So I did have her share that same story at Wissanoming because it's one of my favorite stories. And I love that it's been five years. You know, we pray for healing a lot, but sometimes you got to wait a couple days, a couple weeks just to find out whether it was real. 
You know, I'm not one of those ones that, if you come up with a broken leg and I'm like, you're healed, just accept it, now walk, and you can't walk, that's nothing, you know? Like, I wanna know that your bone's actually better, you know? Uh, and that you can walk. So, I, listen, I believe in verifying this stuff and I believe in taking time to make sure it sticks. Um, when Jesus healed people, he often sent them to the priest to get confirmed. I mean, that, that was what the priest did back then. He would say, especially if they had leprosy, go show yourself to the priest because the priest is the one that ultimately declared you cured. And nowadays, we don't have priests that do that, but we have doctors that do that. I don't think we have anything to hide, man. If you pray for someone like Heather, I, I'm glad Heather continues to see her doctor and that her doctor's pretty bored with her, which is great. Um, you know, and we're not about to go say, you know, like... If you're on medications, just stop taking it. You know, it, now, if your symptoms subside, then stop taking it. But go to the doctor and, and get all this stuff checked out once, once you've experienced that kind of stuff. So what I wanna do today, and I'm gonna wrap up with this, is uh, I wanna pray for anyone that might be sick, but I wanna put you guys to work. Sorry, you're at True Vine, we're gonna put you to work. Is there anyone here who has a physical issue that they would like to be prayed for. There might be more than one. Anyone that has a physical? Anna. Is there any others? Is there? Okay. We can pray for your dad. What's your name? Domain. What do you got going on? Your dad doesn't have any kidneys. Is he here today? Okay. Well, that's all right. Well, we can still pray for him. All right. So this is, go ahead. Uh, is it, what's your name again? Lisa. Lisa. Okay. Before we go any further, is there anyone here that needs to be prayed for? Oh, okay. Oh, we got a couple of, uh, Bobby. Okay. That's, we're going to pray for that. Okay, you don't know exactly, you don't know if it's asthma or anything? Okay, this is what I wanna do then. All right, a couple of you that are, that are around Anna, can you go circle around here? I don't know your name, uh, Adrian. Okay, if you're around Adrian, can you get around him? Uh, if you're around Bobby, some of you get around Bobby. Um, and then before we wrap up, we're gonna pray for the people that aren't in the room, okay? We're not going to dismiss without doing that. No. All right. So this is the first thing I want, to, I want to ask you to do, all right? The first thing is you want to ask them what's the issue, like what, what's the ailment, and you want to see if there's a way you can test it. So you want to ask, like, uh, like is, on a scale of 1 to 10, how bad is the pain? Or like Adrian's, in Adrian's example, like can you, can you take a deep breath right now? We just want to get a sense of how things are right this minute, okay? So go ahead and um, find out what the issue is, test it first, and then we're going to go from there. If you haven't started yet, based on what you've heard, pray for them. And uh, go ahead and lay your hands on them. And I've given oil 
there's some oil back here. You guys are gonna, it's right on the sound booth. So there's oil. So you wanna anoint them on the forehead and there's no like ritual there. You just put a little oil on their forehead. And uh, you want to just start praying. Now pray as the Holy Spirit leads you. There's no magic words. There's no abracadabra here. Just pray as the Holy Spirit leads you. All right, now once you've had a minute to pray for them, and you can keep praying, I want you to ask them if they're feeling any different or if anything that has been prayed has stood out to them. All right, you keep praying, but <clears throat> is there anyone here present who feels like their hands are very hot? And I don't mean like, you know, it's hot and you're sweaty, but like your hands are abnormally hot. Okay, I see a couple of you raising your hands. So if you're not already, make sure you're laying hands on the person who's sick. That, that hot hand thing is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit that often means uh, that he wants to do healing through you. All right, take a couple seconds and, and wrap up. I want to I wanna get feedback with what's going on in the room. So uh, take a couple seconds to finish your praying. Diana and Allie, your group back there, and Bobby's the one you're praying for, right? Wow, uh, how's it going? Good. Uh, Diana, uh, so what did you guys pray? Um, what did you, you know, hear or find out? Okay. Okay. So, Bobby, have you, do you feel anything different in your body yet? Don't make up an answer that you, know, you think I want to hear. That's the case with a lot of things that are subtle. Heather's a perfect example. We prayed for her. There's no way of knowing in the moment. You know, we, that's something that took time. All right. Let me ask about this group in the back. Shay and Kevin and is it Andre? Adrian, sorry. Um, Shay, uh, what did you guys pray about? Any, any changes or anything? Mm -hmm. 
Right. Adrian, is that tightness something that's relatively new then? You haven't lived with that your whole life? Okay. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Now, you weren't experiencing it when you came in, right? Okay. So there's, we, necessarily, we couldn't necessarily test it today, but... Yeah, Shay has caused many panic attacks in my life, so it, it is possible that he's the trigger. Um, so we won't know, you probably won't know that until a couple days or weeks pass and find out whether you're free of that, right? Okay. Um, and then back here, the group that prayed for Anna, Val, can you summarize um, your experience back there? Okay. Where? Where in her body? Hand, okay. Okay. So, um, oh, okay. Okay. Right. Yeah. Let me, let me take a moment to take Anna's experience and explain a couple other things. Once you get into this healing stuff, man, it's a whole world opens up. So first, first we will need to understand that uh, there's a difference between healing and miracles, which is why Paul lists them as two separate gifts. Miracles happen like that. Healing is often a process that takes a little bit more time. Let me, and then secondly, let me explain it, tell you a story that illustrates that. Jesus at one point prayed for a blind man, and, and Jesus never healed the same way twice. I mean, sometimes he laid hands, other times he did it from a distance, sometimes he made mud and spit in people's eyes. I, I spit in people's eyes and they never appreciate it. Uh, 
But Jesus made mud, he, he put it in the blind guy's eyes, and then Jesus asked them, he asked him, what do you see? Which is kind of our way of saying, how do you feel? And I, first I want to encourage you to have the guts to ask that. I used to pray for healing, and then like as soon as I said amen, I was like, I gotta get out of here before they say they weren't healed. Like I was so afraid to actually say, did it work? Which I don't say, did it work now, but I do say, did you feel anything or experience any change? I, I, we got to have the guts to ask that. Because Jesus had the guts. And so he, put, he makes the mud, he puts it in the guy's eyes, he prays and he says, what do you see? And the guy says, I see trees walking around. So that right there means that even Jesus had to pray twice. And he did pray twice. So then Jesus prayed a second time, and it was after that that the guy was healed. So healing is a process sometimes. Sometimes you've got to pray more than once. So in a situation where the pain was high, um, like a 10 or a 12, you pray and you say, okay, now it's a 7. All right, pray again. You know, pray till the Lord says stop. You don't have to hit zero, but zero is always preferred. But when, the, when you get it from 10 to 4, 10 to 2, and the Lord says, that's what I'm doing today, you know, then that's what you do. It really, it really demands that you can hear from the Holy Spirit in the moment uh, to know because you, you don't do this the same way with everybody. I mean, you got to hear from the Lord and, and stuff. So, all right, last thing I want to do, we had several people mentioned that are not in the room, and Jesus did oftentimes heal people who are not present. He would Long distance, the centurion's son was one of them. So, was your name Domain? Your father has no kidneys. What's his name? John. John? Okay. And uh, Lisa, you said, what was yours? Remind me again. Your mother has cancer. And there was, uh, Anna, you said your father. Okay. All right. Well, that's okay. Jesus, uh, the centurion came to see Jesus because his son was too sick, right? The centurion that came to see Jesus wasn't sick. His son was sick and he came on behalf of his son. So I'm going to pray for those three. But before I do that, I want every single one of you to know how to pray for the sick when you get those opportunities. This is a great way to share the gospel with people at work, at home, and other places you know, if someone's sick, now you know, okay, I ask permission to lay hands on them. I pray. I ask how they're doing. That, that whole how's this pain on a scale of 1 to 10, is a, it really does help when, it, when God's doing something. It helps to just quantify it a little bit. And uh, I want you guys to have a little bit of training on how to do that. So I'm going to pray for John, Lisa's mom, and Anna's dad. And then I'll dismiss you guys. There's food over in the house. Feel free to grab some. Father, uh, I am asking in the same way that the centurion asked for his son who was not present, I'm asking for Domain's dad, John, who has no kidneys, Lord, that you would recreate kidneys in his body. You created him the first time when he was born. And it is not impossible for you to recreate 
uh, body parts and, and, and organs and limbs if you want to, because you can do everything. You brought Lazarus back from the dead, for goodness sakes. You can certainly recreate an organ. So Lord, I'm asking for new kidneys uh, and grace as that happens, Lord. And I pray for Lisa's mother who has cancer. I pray that that cancer would go into remission right now, that in response to our prayer for her, that it would go into remission and that uh, her mother's life would be spared, that her health would improve, and that the kingdom of God would come on her body because there is no cancer in the kingdom. And Lord, I pray for Anna's dad who uh, is dealing with the, the consequences or the effects of radiation therapy from his cancer, Lord. I'm grateful and thank you that he survived. And I just pray, Lord, that you would reverse the effects of the radiation therapy in the way that it's hurt his body, Lord. I pray that his body would recover supernaturally quickly from that process, that his health would be improved and restored, and that a week from now we would have a story of how you've touched his body. And Lord, would you make us ministers of healing? Give us the tools that are necessary and the courage to pray in the spirit. I pray that, Father, in your name. Amen. 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 Thanks a lot, guys. Feel free to stick around and hang out.